I think we're currently in an era where feminism and women's empowerment is at the forefront of our society. And right now the message is for women to be strong, women to be independent, women to be empowered, which is great. But I was thinking about how this mainstream feminism related to me specifically as a black woman. We're black women, we've always been strong because we've had to be because of the intersection of racism and sexism. We've had to deal with it on both sides. And so I was beginning to think like, what does it mean to be empowered as a black woman who's always had to be strong? And I think that my way of empowering myself is to embrace my vulnerability. You are listening to Change Lab, conversations on transformation and creativity. I'm Lauren Buckman, president of Art Center College of Design. Grace Lynn Haynes' creative calling didn't announce itself until she set foot in her first college painting class. But from that moment forward, Grace's artistic destiny came through loud and clear, as unmistakable as a spiritual epiphany. Here's how she described it. It almost reactivated my physical senses. I felt as if colors were brighter, senses were stronger. I just felt like my passion for life began to come back again. I knew that I had to be doing this for a living. She poured that passion into her painting practice as a student at Art Center, where she cultivated the signature style that quickly translated into a thriving career as a professional painter and illustrator. Her works are striking and instantly recognizable, at least partially because you've probably seen them on the cover of The New Yorker, which has featured two of her illustrations in the past eight months. She's also recently graced the pages of Vogue, Elle, and the Washington Post. The vibrancy of her bright color schemes and rich skin tones she describes as pitch black offer a counter-narrative to the connotations placed on the very idea of darkness. Grace's brushstrokes depict a better world, one where light and dark coexist harmoniously in brightly hued images that celebrate contrast. Grace's career launched like a rocket the moment she graduated from Art Center. She was selected to be an inaugural member of Kehinde Wiley's Black Rock Senegal Residency and was included in Forbes' 30 Under 30 list under art and style. In many respects, Grace is now living her dream along with that of most every young artist. But perhaps most admirable is her commitment to pursuing a creative practice that reflects her deeply held values. Please enjoy my conversation with Grace Lynn Haynes. Well, I'd like to begin just by asking you and just helping the listeners get a sense of who you are. And uh, one of the questions that I love to ask, especially uh, alums of Art Center, is if you can maybe just explore or free associate a little bit about your own memories as a young child and what your creative spirit was about, how you experienced the world and how you engaged creatively with your own growth and your own encounters as you moved through 
life? Yeah, so I would say um, growing up, I always loved to draw and write. I would make my own stories. I would like write a paragraph and draw a picture for that paragraph and staple paper together and create like this own like picture book. And so art was a really big part of my childhood. I still remember my first drawing class. We had to learn how to draw a monkey. And still to this day, I, when I draw monkeys, I draw them in the way that they taught in the in that children's class. And I just really remember feeling so alive with colors. I remember my first experience with pastels and the drawing class as well, and just being so excited to work with like oranges and reds and yellows. Those are my favorite colors to work with. Um, unfortunately, since my family wasn't very artistic or didn't see like the, the value in being an artist or career in it, they didn't really nurture it. And so I started to not really see the point and I thought maybe I'll just be an English teacher or get into something else artsy related, but not actually be an artist itself. Um, mm -hmm. And so it wasn't until I had my first year in college studying liberal arts, um, I decided to switch over and be a full-time artist after taking a painting class. I remember in the class, I painted a, a flamingo and a, a parrot, I believe. And ever since then, I was like, I have to do this. It almost like reactivated my physical senses, like... It felt as if colors were brighter, senses were stronger. It just felt like my passion for life began to come back again. And I knew that wow. it didn't matter if how much money I made. I knew that I had to be doing this for a living. That's beautiful. <laughs> Great. So, all right. So now we're in Art Center and I'd like to talk a little bit about the evolution of your work. And I read with um, with fascination as I was exploring your your cover on the New Yorker, which I certainly wanted to spend some time on, about this pivotal moment at Art Center when you were in your figure drawing class, and you talk about the fact that there were no black or brown models, but you had this assignment to draw your friend, and then you had this experience of what it was to really draw black skin. And so I would love for you to tell that story, A, because I think it's such an important learning for the college itself, but also it was so pivotal in your own career and your own development as an artist yeah definitely i think it was a portraiture painting class um where we would paint from the the models and i remember there weren't any black or brown models so i wasn't sure how to paint even my own skin tone so we had an assignment to paint um a friend or a close one or someone we know in our life and i decided to paint one of my friends who was also a student at art center and i remember showing my painting during critique and the my professor's like who i love by the way he's we still keep in contact but he was saying like how there were a lot of red undertones um the tones were off and then he was almost like how could you paint it so wrong and i remember thinking to myself well I don't know how to paint brown skin. And then it kind of just like raised the light bulb in his head. And he was like, you're right. We don't have any black or brown models. Um, and it's something that he never thought about. And so ever since then, he, he put more initiative into bringing black and brown models or models of color into the class. But growing up, as a young artist, I didn't know how to really paint black or brown skin. And so that led me to paint the figures in my paintings, pitch black, just first coming from just not knowing how to paint the complexities, but then it eventually growing into my, my signature style that has gotten me a lot of work today. But it did start off with just the lack of knowledge on how to paint the, the deep complexities, which I'm, st I'm still to this day, like learning how to do and being active about learning how to, how to paint it. <laughs> 
So there's a couple of things I want to follow up with because it's such a, I mean, it's such an interesting story as we um, at the college are really working doggedly at, at trying to uh, change the narrowness of our approach and our educational approach. But it's such a clear, concrete example of something like that in which uh, there's a whole learning that wasn't happening because we just weren't providing the opportunity for students to do that. And maybe to reflect on that a little bit or extrapolate in other areas of your experience. I mean, I want to return to these black figures, but I I'm so curious about your experience at Art Center and how that is almost paradigmatic of something that is so critical for us to address. Yes, I would say um, it was a little tough um, adjusting to the art centers, um, the environment at first, but eventually I found like a great group of friends that we really connected with. Um, I would say the, the challenging part was the, I guess the lack of diversity in the curriculum, like a lot of the artists, specifically right. in the illustration program that we would study were typically male or Caucasian. And so I had to do a lot of research on my own to find other uh, artists or illustrators of color who were out there, who did have prolific careers, um, but for some reason weren't being mentioned in the curriculum. And so that was a bit of a challenge for me. And for me, like I'm a, I'm an initiate, initiator. Um, I love to start conversations and that led to the diversity workshop that I created in, I believe it was 2016. Um, and it was one of the first diversity workshops that I know of at the school, um, just seeing how everyone responded to to it. And it got a really great response. I know you were there, um, a lot of the- Yeah, I participated, I loved it, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was so nervous, because um, I didn't know if anyone would come and we had a great turnout, the room was completely filled. And I think just a lot of people were so unaware about like what the students of color, the minorities on campus were going through at that time. And I think it was a really great opportunity um, that led to a lot of diversity initiatives that are happening at Art Center today. And so I'm really glad that I took the risk and I did the workshop and it planted a seed to that's continuing to grow even to this day. Um, like we have the anti-racism classroom that um, I know is going on. And I know there have been a few diversity programs, but I think it's important as artists and designers, we should be very politically aware. And if anything, we should be the progressive people. We should be the ones that are um, promoting empathy because that's what art should do. It should show you something that maybe you wouldn't know about or experience if you weren't that person. I believe art's a way, a great way to, to spread positive messages and create these types of dialogues, especially with what's going on in our society. And so I think it's crucial that um, as artists and designers, we are aware of what's going on in the world and that we promote open-mindedness. And um, I think just being open-minded as an artist is greatly beneficial because it exposes you to so many different cultures that can really affect your artwork in a positive way. So I think, um, yes, as an artist and designer, it's always important to to take part in these discussions. Absolutely. And and I, I just want to say for the record that you, you, you know, the importance of your voice and the work that you did and how you uh, brought the community along was was critical and important. And we are all deeply grateful to you for everything that you did. And uh -huh. it was it was a, it was wonderful to work with you on that uh -huh. on that. And yes, and hopefully we are progressing <laughs> and moving forward and, and uh, a lot of work we have left to do. Mm -hmm.
to go back to this signature style that you talk about, and I just I just want to explore a little bit the kind of pitch black choice that you made, which you so interestingly almost describe as a kind of happy accident, and yet it sort of has become such a central part of your work. And I would just invite you to free associate on on that choice and how you see it in your work and what it evokes yeah. for you. Yes, I would say um, now that I've been doing it for a few years, um, it's it's become part of my, my signature style. It's what people have known me for. And I was really inspired by Carrie James Marshall, who also paints the figures completely black as well. Mm-hmm. And he made a statement in his thesis that said, the darker you are, the more marginalized you are in society. And this happens across all cultures, um, where the darker ones are usually the ones that um, have to deal with a lot of prejudice. And so I wanted to see how that quote related to me, not just as a black person, but as a black woman. And I believe the darker you are, the less feminine you are perceived to be. And that led me to paint specifically only black women in my work to to be specific to my experience, not just as a black person, but as a woman. And so it really um, is something that I feel passionate about and it's actually I'm exploring more in my work. Um, I'm still painting the skins completely like really dark, but I'm also exploring like darker browns and um, other tones as well to portray the scale, the skin. And that's in like the next phase in my work. But I'm also really intrigued by this idea that in a lot of Western society, dark and light are at odds with each other. And so in my paintings, there are a a dark figure but they're surrounded by a lot of light colors and so it represents that dark and light can coexist together in one image cohesively and not be at odds with one another and i'm really intrigued by that that contrast of of the two tones and all of that um beautifully evident in your new yorker cover and i want to spend um, some time talking about that Mm -hmm. project and and your experience with that which is just an amazing thing it was in celebration of the 100th anniversary of the voting rights for women though you point out a very important irony about black women in that story so if you could just introduce us a little bit to maybe how the new yorker found you uh what that process was all about and uh the brief they gave you and your choice to focus on Sojourner Truth? Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I think the the process for The New Yorker or even getting the cover, I didn't even, like, I couldn't have even imagined it for my career. And it was such a blessing. Um, it happened during a time where my work on Instagram was really beginning to circulate heavily because of the Black Lives Matter movement and what happened with Breonna Taylor and um, Ahmaud Arbery. And because of that, a lot of people from all different backgrounds were supporting Black art at the time and reposting it on their Instagram stories, on their feed. And so my work was just going all around the the, the internet web. And I gained at least 10,000 followers in just two weeks. And because of that circulation, I got a project with Vogue. And then eventually I got a project with The New Yorker. They reached out to me through email and they told me the prompt of the of the cover and they basically said that they're celebrating the 100th anniversary of women's voting right and so i was like okay that's interesting so i started looking up the history of women's voting rights and i realized that black women weren't able to vote until 1965 to the equal voting rights act passed so i'm like hmm as a black woman i think it'll just be kind (laughs) of you know like i have to address this and i wasn't sure how they would respond to it um but i knew that in my heart i had to do something that related to black womanhood. 
and they were very open to it. And I basically told them my concept of doing Soldier of Truth, who was actually born into slavery, and she ended up escaping and became this super powerful figure who would go around the country doing speeches and activating for women's rights. She was like the original feminist, like truly. And her story was just so amazing. And I know some people know about her, but I feel like her story should even be more amplified and more more put out there for the world to see. And so I chose to do a portrait of her because she was one of the first women of color activating for voting rights. And unfortunately, she didn't live past you know 1965 where the act was passed, but she was definitely a contributor to that act being passed through her her speeches and her passion for women's rights and voting. And so I was just super honored to be able to paint her and to really commemorate her legacy. And also, excuse me for interrupting, also for raising the irony of the deep meaning of her work. Mm-hmm. And yet for herself and for women of color, it was not a reality until much, much later. As, yeah. As, as you so compellingly point out. Right? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm so fascinated by Sojourner Truth and invite you if, you if you want to talk any more about your own personal connection and you know how she touches your heart and what she was able to accomplish. I mean, you were certainly talking about that, but if you want to say more about that. Yeah, I would say um, I felt even more connected to her after the cover. Um, I always knew about her, but not really in depth. And after the cover, it kind of, it just reinforced the appreciation I've had for the women before me who paved the way for me to become the artist that I am today. Um, If it wasn't for women like Sojourner Truth who risked their lives to to spread a, a, a great and empowering message and also encourage and women to take action and ownership over their lives, I think how could you not be inspired by Sojourner Truth? Like uh, to me, she's the greatest American. Like she was literally born into slavery and she escaped and became the woman that she was today. I think her story is a testament to what it means to be an American that despite you know circumstances, you can still really thrive if you put your heart and mind to it. And I think that we all can take something from from her story and really be inspired by her. Yeah, totally. I mean, overwhelming odds against her yes. in every respect, right? Everything. And yet she, yeah. was, she was able to do what she did. Yeah. You know, I know she's famous for uh, the Ain't I a Woman speech that she gave, I believe, in Ohio. Mm-hmm. But there's another one of her statements that I find particularly interesting and very stirring. And it's on that photo that I... I think it's on that photo that you used for your cover in which she says, I sell the shadow to support the substance. Mm-hmm. I just found that so fascinating and compelling on so many levels mm. and so beautifully poetic. I mean, on a very ostensible level, she is sitting there in this photograph. She owns her own image. Mm. She was owned by another at one point of her life, right. but there she sits owning her own image and finding agency, using it as she wants to use it mm-hmm. to help fund a cause right. and to, right? I mean, it's just, there's something beautiful about taking power, taking ownership, taking agency to make a difference in the world. Yeah, I always say like she was the original, original influencer. She literally had a photograph during a time where photographs were just becoming 
popular and a thing. And she took that photograph and she used it to market her speeches as well. So not only was she an uh, empowered woman, she was also a businesswoman. And she used, mm-hmm. she took agency over her life and her own image and her own body and was able to make an impact and inspire other women as well. And to me, she's just, she's an icon. She's so deep, so intelligent. And I believe that she should be definitely on a, a dollar bill or a $10 bill, $20 bill. <laughs> you know, she should be on a, some, somewhere. We need to see her face more. So can you tell us the story of the evolution of, of the cover itself and of the, ultimately of the illustration that you created? I mean, we, we talked a little bit about the use of pitch black, but I'm fascinated by the eyes. I'm fascinated by the hummingbirds. I'm fascinated by the other colors. It would just be great to hear the story of the evolution of that of that work. Yes, it's it's interesting because I had about a day and a half to do the cover, <laughs> which was wow. you know I, I feel like definitely Art Center education taught me how to work on fast deadlines. So I got my Art Center on and slept in my studio that day and a half. Um, I was like, this is going to be totally worth it. I was like, it's the New Yorker. I'll do whatever I have to do to get this cover done. And so it first started off with a sketch, and I sent it to them, and they. Um, had a couple revisions in terms of like the posture and everything like that. And so I started the painting and um, I would send photos of them like throughout the the stage of the paintings. And I didn't want to just do an exact copy of a painting. Um, I don't consider myself to be a portraiture artist, but I wanted to tell the story of Sojourner Truth, not just through the face, but through her clothing. And so I had about five photos that I referenced um, for the painting and I took bits and pieces like of each of the photos like for one she had a polka dot dress and that I thought was really awesome and so I put that into the painting and another she had like a striped shirt in one photo but she didn't have it in the other so I combined the striped shirt with the polka dot dress just to create this outfit or this combination of, of, of the different photos and incorporating my own imagination and I wanted to play around with the colors too, use very modern, bright colors as if she's being transported to this era, this time. And I also wanted to incorporate um, the hummingbirds and hummingbirds are something that I use in my work a lot because it was my grandma's favorite bird and she was a antique collector and just a lover of beauty and art. And she would always have hummingbirds artworks and paintings around the house and to me hummingbirds represent beauty they represent hope they're very small but their wings um, flap very rapidly and i think that when i paint hummingbirds it reminds me of my grandma who was born during a very hard time in this country and has managed to complete her dreams of opening up an antique shop and um, having five children and being a mother and a collector. And I really felt the connection between my grandma and Sojourner Truth in terms of how they were born in such difficult circumstances, but still found a way to survive and thrive and follow their dreams. And so I wanted to make that connection with my own personal family history um, with Sojourner Truth. Beautiful. <laughs> and by the way, I'm sure a lot of students, and you'll understand this well, uh, at Art Center would love to hear 
just how the story then evolves. I mean, it's a beautiful description of, of what you did and how you created it. And then did you kind of nervously send it into the New Yorker saying, here it is? I mean, you said that they were monitoring it along the way. But <laughs> what finally happened and what was it like finally to see your work on the cover of the New Yorker? You know? Yeah, it was it was very stressful in the beginning because I wasn't the only artist that they reached out to. They reached out to a few other artists and they were like, OK, I want you guys all to submit sketches and we're going to pick the best sketch um, based off of all the various sketches that the artist sent. And so for me, the sketches was a way to impress them. So I got my art center mode on and I colored the sketches. Um, I also had a paragraph next to the sketch describing the sketch in detail and what's going on for clarification, which I learned in my classes at Art Center well as well. So I really wanted to make my sketches stand out. And I think I had an opportunity to um, really impressed them with the historical aspect of it. So just describing the history also in the sketch. And I, and it apparently it won them over. <laughs> sure did, um, yeah. And it was just crazy seeing my work on the cover. It's not something that I've ever had before. I've had my work in magazines, but not on the actual cover. So to just really see it was almost surreal in a way sometimes it's still hard to process just how many people have seen the cover um and people were just tagging me all over instagram when they received a new yorker cover in the mail um sending me messages so Jonah truth fans from all across the world um it was really wow. just um an incredible experience Beautiful. i felt like <laughs> so i felt like my work just got into the spotlight and ever since then my career has been launching off a lot since then and they still reach out to me the new yorker for covers in the future which i'm excited to do um but yeah, it was just, uh, it was very fast. It happened in less than like a week and a half. Um, and it just shows that, you know, you just never know what's what's going to happen. I always encourage um, students to sh make sure their work is getting out there by any means necessary. And we're so lucky to live in a social media era where we have chances to to show off our work to, to audience that we might not even know are looking. And I think it's always important to make sure that your work, your voice is being put on a platform of somehow. Um, and so that really ended up working in my favor, my, my Instagram account. What a great story. <laughs> what a great story. Maybe another question about your work too, which I certainly sense in, in looking at it and the more I learn about it too, but I read that this is a quote of yours. You said your work centers on your relationship with yourself as a black woman and the vulnerability it entails. And I have a particular interest in the whole concept of vulnerability and really the kind of strength that it brings, the courage to be vulnerable, mm -hmm. who we are. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if you would talk a little bit about what you meant by that, how your vulnerability operates, how you feel like it informs your work, 
and connects you maybe to a certain truth about yourself? I think we're currently in an era where feminism and women's empowerment is at the forefront of our society. And right now, the message is for women to be strong, women to be independent, women to um, be empowered, which is great and amazing and definitely should be encouraged and put to the forefront. But I was thinking about how this mainstream feminism related to me specifically as a Black woman. We're Black women, we've always been strong because we've had to be because of the intersection of racism and sexism. We've had to deal with it on both sides. And so I was beginning to think like, what does it mean to be empowered as a Black woman who's always had to be strong? And I think that my way of empowering myself is to embrace my vulnerability, um, is to embrace my softer side or to embrace, you know, crying and um, accepting the fact that I'm a human being and that I'm not superwoman, that that I can't do everything. And so for me and a lot of other Black women in my life, embracing our vulnerability has been what's empowering for us. And of course, you know, we've always been strong. We'll always be strong, but there can always be a balance. You don't have to be 100% strong all the time. You can be vulnerable, you can be soft, and you can be independent. You know, there's not one linear way to be a woman, and we can embrace all our sides to our womanhood. Yeah, and of course, and I'm not the only one to point this out, that being strong and being vulnerable are not necessarily opposites. In fact, Mm. it does take a certain kind of strength to allow your vulnerability to come through and to surface and to let you experience something more fully and more wholly and then that translates into the kind of work that you can do, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it takes a certain strength to be vulnerable and to to kind of like open up the mask or take off the mask. Um, right. And I wish we would stop seeing people who are soft or people who are kind as weak. It takes a certain strength in a hard world to be soft and to be you know, kind and vulnerable in that way. And I think that we need to really reframe our ideas on what strength is and what weakness is. Maybe, you know, to be strong and all the time can be a weakness too, because we're human beings. So it's about balance, you know. Mm, well said, yeah. yeah. And do you want to explore a little bit, um, maybe even just free associate on the connection of that vulnerability to your work and how it maybe opens up ways for you to create and touch into things that otherwise may be not available to you? Yeah, I would say um, my journey of vulnerability has been, it's been an interesting one. And it's something that I haven't really embraced into the past year or two, um, just because um, in my early 20s, I had to do a lot by myself because I didn't have a lot of support at the time. So I didn't really have the, the pleasure or the privilege of being vulnerable. Um, and I would say that even in my work now, it's something that I'm really diving deep into in terms of how I can be vulnerable in my work and how I can show that through painting. Um, before I would often paint figures, the the, fe- the female figures by themselves. And now in my next series, I'm working on showing more female figures together in one painting to show that they don't have to go at this alone, that this is a group effort, that this is a community effort. Mm-hmm. It takes a village to raise not just a child, but just a human being. Um, and so mm-hmm. that's the next phase that I'm going into my work is really exploring the power of women coming together, of women helping each other out, of women in, in sacred and vulnerable spaces together and how as women, when we come together, we're stronger and we're more empowered that way. And so that's my the next phase of my work. 
Fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> Do you ever think about the fact that in your work and as you're becoming in touch with your own vulnerability that in a way you're communicating some kind of secret about yourself without actually naming that secret? Yeah, it happens like like s- subconsciously. Um, I think as an artist, it's just a very vulnerable career, especially as a fine artist, which is the direction that my career has taken. Um, it just happens that things are revealed to me that I'm like, dang, I didn't want people to know that. And then like they're pointing it out. I'm just like, uh, you know, but that's the vulnerability we all take as artists. Um, I remember like right now I'm in school getting my MFA in visual arts and a lot of my classmates are bringing up how the figures are often alone or isolated. And that's how I was feeling, you know, for the past few years. And I remember thinking to myself like, dang, I didn't want them to know that, but that was what was showing up in my work. And so I think, you know, being an artist, um, you can't really hide. Um, It's our job to put vulnerabilities out there because you'd be surprised how many people are going through exactly what you're going through. So it's our job to really put that out there, whether you're a musician or a painter or a dancer. It's our job to make people feel their pain. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And although you feel exposed, it is also why we're so compelled by your work, Grace. You know what I mean? (laughs) Because it's honest, because it taps into a truth. And I think we respond to that. Thank you. So I'd love to turn our attention a little bit to your experience at Art Center um, in a multifaceted way. We've touched on it a little bit. You've talked about, you know, some of your learnings, if you want to explore more of that. But I, I also would love to get uh, into a bit of a conversation about, you know, how we need to change and the work we need to do as well. So um, just to maybe to begin, and how do you remember your experience at Art Center? And then we can maybe get more specific. Yeah, I would say um, it was interesting. I think um, what Art Center... The education, hands down, is amazing. Like the foundation I received on drawing, on figures, on color, composition has been outstanding and it definitely has impacted my work. I do think the challenging part was that there aren't any, aren't too many professors of color. I don't think there's really anyone in the illustration department. So that was really challenging because there are times where my work um, my professors didn't know how to exactly critique it past the aesthetics of the work and not the concepts, or it would be kind of like I would have to, you know, the class would be awkward and not know how to talk about the work. And so I think that definitely like affected just my feeling of isolation, just feeling like I'm at it alone or I'm just making work that no one understands or they don't know how to critique. And I've even had professors tell me like, you shouldn't strictly focus on black issues. You should broaden your horizon. But now, you know, a few years later, I'm still doing the same thing and I'm on the cover of the New Yorker. So that's just not true. And that's an outdated way of looking at art. And so I think that there are certain um, things that that can be improved, such as, you know, diverse uh, staff. Um, I remember Deidre Washington. I used to TA for her. She would work in the illustration department. She's also a black woman. She was the one who kept me sane throughout the throughout the my experience at Art Center, just having someone to relate to. So I think definitely just having more women as faculty, having more people of color, I think would really create a very rich learning experience because for everyone, because we all have some a unique experience to give to the students. Yeah, yeah. 
It's a story that unfortunately we hear too often and that we have to, um, I mean, we are making changes, but we have to do it much more urgently and much more quickly because, I mean, it's there's something of a, of a wonderful and talented student like yourself feeling kind of isolated or alone mm-hmm. or in a, in a room where you're not getting the kind of um, engagement or some level of engagement that you, you also need beyond what it was that was being offered to you. Yes, I think diversity... Um, it's just really important, I think, for just a well-rounded education. And I know Arts Center has gotten better, but I think if there's more of a push for it in terms of like looking at who we're hiring, who's teaching us um, yeah. to create just a wider learning environment, I think all students can benefit from that. Yeah, to- I mean, it's, it's so fundamental. I guess I also have a question like beyond the, you know, the clear and very obvious need that you talk about in terms of a diverse faculty and staff. What about the approach itself? I mean, I'm interested in, in critique. I know you've thought about critique mm-hmm. and it's such a central part of what we do. And it's always fascinated me. But is critique itself a far too narrow process? Do we have to really kind of open up questions about critique and how a diverse student body can experience in a much more inclusive and equitable way. Yeah, I think critique is interesting um, because the only time artists really get critiques are in school or at least um, consistent critiques. And so I think critiques are very important. Of course, for an artist, it's extremely stressful, but it is an essential part of growing as an artist. I don't believe in a critique culture that belittles or embarrasses the student. Um, I believe that critique should always be to help the student, but not coddle them, but to really help them improve and progress. And I think that in terms of like creating a more equitable critique, I think we need to be understanding that students come from all different backgrounds and experiences. Um, You can be in a class where a student might have taken arts center at night classes and another one didn't wasn't able to afford that and but you're critiquing them the same way and so the student that may not have that experience um before arts center might feel a little less than and so i think it's important to critique the individual and not create a formula and critique every every student according to that formula critique the student as who they are and where they're at and the experience that they have, I think would create more equity. And I think that just comes with empathy um, and for the professors to look at the students and remember how it was when they were a student. I think sometimes professors can forget what it's like to be a student, what it's like to have your work in front of the class and you know having everyone look at it and dissect it. And to just be understanding that we don't know what that student's is going through in their personal life. And we often forget about that is that we not only have the stress of school, we have the stress of what's going on in our personal life. She don't know what has happened in their family. And that doesn't mean, of course, like coddle, but just to be aware of creating safe spaces for students to grow, not stressful spaces. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really, really important. And I mean, you can obviously extend that to beyond the experience of the student, also to the cultural experience of the student, the background of the student, the identity of the student, the issues that any individual student is struggling with or is coming to understand about themselves, that all of that needs to play very sensitively in that process of critique if the learning is really going to happen. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. 
And I would add to that, I think it's a misunderstanding to think that if we take those ideas into consideration, if we encourage and develop our sensitivity, that somehow we'll be coddling, that somehow we'll be compromising rigor because we have opened up our hearts or being more empathetic. But I think that's a false equivalency. Yes, yes, exactly. I think sometimes we think that the militant approach is the best approach, but I think the humanistic approach can be the best. I mean, I think a lot that goes to the example of I was thinking the other day of how people think if you berate someone, they're going to change. But actually, if you show love to them, maybe that will inspire them to to change themselves. And I think sometimes we think if we berate them, if we put them down enough, eventually they'll get tired of it and rise to the top, which sometimes does work for certain students. But for other students, it just makes them feel hopeless and never want to go back to class and crushes their self-esteem and their dreams. So I think, it's, again, it's important for professors, I think, there's a difference between a great artist and a great professor because you can be a great artist and not be a great professor. And I think a great professor mm. sees the student and critiques them according to what is going to be best for them. Yeah, exactly. We, we can lead with love and be absolutely rigorous and ha- have the highest standards of excellence at the same time. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Well, let's talk just, uh, uh, I'm fascinated with what's going on with you today now too. And uh, can you talk about your participation in your work with Gehende Wiley in Senegal? Yes. What that, that's been about? Yeah. Another fascinating development. <laughs> yes, that happened. Um, that was just an amazing experience. And that really confirmed my experience, my decision to go to the fine art route. Um, because I was just, I was an illustrator before that. And when I applied to the residency, I submitted Uh, my paintings that I always did as a hobbyist. And then once I got the residency, it was kind of confirmation for me to be a full-time fine artist. And it's been working out great since then. Um, And it's interesting because the fine art world and the design world are intersecting a lot now. You see a lot of fine artists who are working with Nike and all these other brands. But anyway, that's a (laughs) different subject. But um, with the Kehinde Wiley residency, that was an experience of a lifetime. Kehinde Wiley is a amazing painter, super successful, very talented. And he created a residency in Senegal to bring artists to the continent of Africa and really be make art outside of the, the Western hemisphere, which I think is really interesting because you learn all these different techniques, whether it's textile making or molding with clay in particular ways that you might not get when you, when you study in America. But I think the the residency definitely changed my perspective on what art can do. And not only was it great spiritually, it also really pushed my career because Kehinde is really big on helping the artists succeed. He even said himself, he's like, I made it now. It's my job to help other, especially other artists of color, make it too. And so he's really big on helping us out and advising us. So it was just a great experience. Can you say a little bit more um, about how it affected your work? You mentioned that it changed your sense of what the artist can do. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, definitely. I think when I was there, I was really inspired by the pattern specifically. Um, It's really amazing how big tailoring clothes is. I feel like a lot of times here we only tailor clothes for like really special occasions. But in Senegal, it's very common to go to the marketplace, get fabric and get clothing made specifically and customized for you. And so I would get lots of different fabrics there. And I actually started incorporating them into my artwork. But I was really inspired by the way they would like juxtapose different patterns and just 
make it look so amazing, like wearing like a polka dot shirt and then striped skirt and then like a really bright yellow um, head wrap. And it would look so amazing. So I was really inspired by by the way they would adorn themselves in these patterns, these beautiful patterns. And it really inspired me to push the patterns in my own work and to explore what patterns mm. mean and how patterns can relate to culture. And to not be afraid to break any linear rules and to kind of push the boundaries of what patterns and colors can do and to stop trying to follow these strict rules about this color goes with this color, or this pattern goes with this pattern and to really just kind of push past that like structure. Wow, that's pretty valuable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, before we wrap up, um, just a little bit about what's ahead of you now and what's next for you. So basically, um, I'm in school right now getting my MFA at Rutgers in Visual Arts, and I should be graduating. It's kind of hard to tell with COVID. Um, all classes are online or on Zoom, but I'll be graduating in about two years. And so during this year, I kind of took the time to really just reevaluate my the direction of my career and um, take on new opportunities as well and really grow my work. And so right now I'm represented by a gallery in Italy named Luce Gallery and we'll be doing a few art fairs in New York City next year. Um, I'll also be working on growing and expanding on my body of work as well during this time. And I've kind of been taking it um, easy just because of the tenseness of the world right now. Um, I don't want to stress myself out, but I'm really focusing on the research part of my work. But I definitely now consider myself to be a a visual artist. I would say fine artist, but a visual artist because I do collaborations with brands as well. But um, right now it's continuing to build my brand in any way possible and seeing the opportunities that come my way. Well, it's a beautiful brand, and please know deep in your heart that all of us at Art Center are incredibly excited about what you're doing and and the incredible talent that you are offering the world. And, and it was such a joy to talk to you today, too. I, I really deeply appreciate your wisdom, and I appreciate also all the, all that you've done for Art Center. I mean, you're a really important figure in this community, and I want you to know that, and I'm very, very grateful for your taking the time today to talk. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yes, I definitely contribute attribute our Art Center to helping me grow as a person, and I'm honored to be here. And it was great talking to you and um, bringing me back to my Art Center days. Um, yeah, it was great. Thank you so much. Change Lab is produced out of Art Center College of Design. I'd like to thank our small but mighty production staff, producer Christine Spines, co-producer Luis Silva, editor Emily Van Bergen, and post-production supervisor and production consultant Christopher Olin. If you like what you've heard and want to hear more of it, please take the time to review and rate us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts.